Hello everybody and welcome to another HMG podcast episode. Today you are actually just going to get Daniel, uh, as my other co-hosts all are on secret missions behind enemy lines. So you'll just have me today, a little bit of a solo chat. Uh, we'll keep things nice and smooth and running along where we can. So I thought it'd be interesting, considering that you just have me, and that I've probably been playing Bolt Action and uh, maybe some quite a few other war games longer than most of the other co-hosts, that I thought I would start with 10 things that I wish I'd knew about Bolt Action before getting started, or a much shorter title, Hindsight. So just before we get straight into those topics and then talking about what thing, the 10 things that I'm, I guess, more aware of for me now, uh, we do have the Skulls tournaments coming up in November on the 20th and the 26th of November. I would strongly encourage you, if you are in Perth and you're willing to throw some dice and have a good time, uh, Justin and the crew at Outpost put on a very good event. Uh, this, we're running it two days this year, a week apart. Uh, but the yeah, they, they always have a really, really good event. Uh, I'm hoping to get to at least one of those, uh, if not both. Uh, but yeah, the players packs are out for those. Missions are a little bit different. Please read ahead. Um, but look, good times all round. Um, not many people, if any, ever walk away with a uh, without a smile on their face, even when they don't win things. Um, so well worth the effort. We also have Iron Signet coming up. Uh, that is on the 16th of October, a little bit closer. Uh, and that is predominantly a painting competition uh, with a difference. We'd released a podcast episode on that not too long ago through Western Tabletop where we covered what that is and, and the different hosts and the categories and what that structure is going to look like. Even if you don't necessarily want to put anything on exhibition uh, into the into the event, I would really recommend coming down and just checking it out. Uh, the The quality of what you will see is is typically more than what you'd see across the table um, because everyone's going to be trying to paint their best. It's also a really good environment just to learn more from some very talented painters. Uh, I plan to learn on quite a bit from the workshops that we're doing and uh, some of the other conversations I plan to have with, with some of the painters that are there with their work on display. Uh, it's a good time. It's running from 8 till 4 Go check out the previous episode for all the relevant details and hit up the contacts for the Iron Signet. Okay, so with those things then out of the way, the hindsight part. Now, this was a very interesting thing. I could have written many different things that were part of my top 10. Uh, the top 10 things that were more important to me are, of course, not necessarily the same as important for somebody else. So just bear that in mind as we go through. Some of these points you may think are not super serious. Others I hope you will agree with. Uh, and the aim is for people who have questions about getting into bolt action, these are the, some of the things that we may want to help guide them on a little bit. Everyone's got to do the hobby their own way. That's perfectly acceptable. But uh, certainly coming from my background in Warhammer 40,000, Warhammer Fantasy, uh, a lot of those other uh, I guess more competitively driven systems, there was a few misconceptions I had. So number one, and probably the best one to start with, the list creation versus the history of what was actually in play. 
uh, or actually being used, I should say. It was not a game. These were quite different to what I was expecting. So typically, knowing that um, the people who had been involved in creating Bolt Action, bringing it forward to what it was, I was expecting similar things to the Warhammer-style games, where you would have a typical amount of units that were non-usable, um, and then some units that were very, very good, and once you min and max those, it actually became significantly better. The misunderstanding that I had was that that would align with history, which when you think about it on the face of it, is ridiculous, because that's not how it worked. Uh, in fact, the majority of infantrymen, for example, you had a rifle. Um, the vast majority of all units were equipped with rifles. The special weapons that we talk about with SMGs, assault rifles, the light machine gun support weaponry, uh, and in fact any of the other different types of support weaponry that comes in, um, the, historically when you're looking at the scale uh, of the war or the different battles, typically much smaller than what bolt action would, uh, would potentially put forward uh, within a platoon <clears throat> for, certain, for certain for some weapons like assault rifles, when they were coming on board, they weren't, they weren't very, um, they weren't very frequent. They were, they were quite rare. Certain, yes, certain battalions or certain, um, uh, of the platoons would have had a higher percentage of those weapons, but for a good amount of the troops across the front lines, um, you had a rifle. Maybe you had some submachine guns, and you know, light machine guns as the war advanced, um, but that's certainly not where it started at the early war. So that was interesting, understanding that your list creation is not going to directly map to history. Uh, there is no, there's no easy way under a single platoon to create most order of battles with 100% accuracy, because it's not designed to do that. Once I had the understanding that it wasn't designed to do that, and it was just to try and get a feel of different weapon types across the board, uh, that became a lot easier to understand and work with. Number two, lethality in bolt action is significantly lower than what I had thought. I originally had thought that the lethality would be my unit attacks to shoot and deal damage to your unit, and your unit would uh, essentially evaporate uh, because they don't have armor, really, uh, and they certainly didn't have anything like a force field, like in some of the sci-fi games. So if you were hit and wounded, then you were able to hit accurately, well, then that should be your unit destroyed. And that's not quite how it works. In fact, the lethality isn't the problem. The lethality is quite straightforward. You're either wounding on a 3-plus for inexperienced, 4-plus for regular, 5-plus for veteran. Um, that actually is quite reasonable within the mechanics. The lethality is driven by how difficult it can be to actually hit something in the first place. And so it wasn't about wounding units that got me confused. It was about how difficult it was to hit things. Now, bear in mind, I spent the majority of my time uh, playing games, workshop games, where to have anything less than a 50%, 60%, or even up to an 80% hit ratio was a little bit absurd. Uh, spending most of my time using Space Marines, I typically was expecting 
80% hit ratios. Now that was a wrong perception to be had, but it's one that I held. And so when I went to bolt action and I was like, okay, I got negatives to hit, I kind of get that. When I actually played that out in the games, I was like, okay, there, there's a bit more to this than what I actually thought. Um, hitting, especially on the first two turns, is not a very, it's not a guaranteed thing. You're often needing five, sixes, typically on turn one, sevens. Uh, that means your damage conversion is not the same. It means your units hang around longer. And what did that mean? That meant that because units weren't being destroyed as quickly, you could get more use out of them. You could maneuver with them more. You could have them sit on an objective or push up the field. And that actually changed the way that I played the game quite significantly. Uh, because I started viewing my units as able to survive more than one hit. I started working with my units to say, well, actually, that unit, when it's supported by another unit, I actually have an ex really extended amount of control of what that unit can do on the board. My third point is that it is a casual game. It's not trying to keep up with the competitive meta. Uh, so remembering that these are things that I wish that I had known up front. Typically, most of the war games that have a really big uh, following have a competitive meta that is being chased. They have things which they perform well in a certain way or there's a specific rules interaction that statistically will give a better result. And the meta seems to encourage or chase or introduce more things of that vein. What I've noticed over the years with Bolt Action is the supplements don't work like that. The new uh, units that are created or missions don't work like that. It's much more about, and potentially as it should be, about capturing the history, um, the historical formations or weapons that were used, pieces done to identify how they actually fought in their environments. But all of that is still done with a broad brush stroke affair for casual play so most players that would have a competitive drive uh, who are looking for a competitively balanced system are very quick to be able to point out the things that are wrong with bolt action and i don't fault those people at all um, i would agree with them actually in, in most cases but the the game system wasn't built for that competitiveness in mind the, the game system was built for casual games or and narrative play games of bolt action where two players can put their forces together and they will have a rough idea of how they're going to fight together. They're going to have a rough idea of how many points they're worth. But then the point is to actually get in and play games, to roll dice, to have fun. And I think bolt action actually, it, bolt action really hits the nail on the head in that aspect, um, you know. And for that purpose, uh, it doesn't mean that it is the perfect solution for everybody. However, um, but yeah, it 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 doesn't have an evolving competitive meta at a rate of knots like some of the other games. Something else that I wish that I'd known about bolt action um, that I personally have come to engage with a bit more is 
the aesthetics matter. And what I mean by that is not just how you paint your army, although that absolutely matters. And it's not just the detail of how you paint your army, although, again, those things can absolutely matter. But I'm actually talking about the aesthetics of your terrain, uh, how you know you can play with the bare essentials of foam heels and tissue boxes. In fact, that is where I started. But the game is so much more enjoyable once you get the aesthetics set up the right way so that it, you, you put a North African theatre board together and you put two North African theatre armies that are themed for that on the board together. That picture that you get and the aesthetic overdrive of what you get when, when you look at that whole piece, you, you, your opponent has painted their army fantastically, you've painted your army fantastically, or maybe they're not fantastically painted in your opinion, but I'm sure you, compared to my grey stuff, they're brilliant. But it's all there in the same, it's all part of the same picture to me right at that point. And so the aesthetics actually matter so much more. If you use a battle mat, if you use a custom mat, if you use, if you're using just a basic board, it's okay. All of those different things matter if all your pieces tie together. Now that's not going to happen all the time. It's not going to happen at every tournament. It's not going to happen on, you know, you know, you're going to have, for example, my winter Bulgarians will have to go fight in the desert. It looks odd. It just looks a bit odd. I'll still play the game, but I've noticed over the years, I don't get as much enjoyment out of those games from the aesthetic drive because clearly I've got snow on my bases and they're in a desert. And so that clashes with me a little bit. Um, but when you get to play a game where it all is actually lined up, uh, that really makes a difference. And, you know, I think you could say the same of most game systems, um, that, that when they are themed and work together, that it does typically look better. Um, but you're really spoiled for choice for what you want to do for World War II. Um, it was fought all the way, obviously, around everywhere in the world, pretty much. Uh, certainly every type of uh, environmental condition uh, had some form of engagement, uh, which means you can basically theme it however you want. Uh, but I would recommend for those that are looking to get started, don't assume that the aesthetics don't mean anything, uh, which is where I started, because that probably cost me a few years worth of having built things up under a certain paradigm. Um, and it meant that I was missing some of the fun that I'm having now because I am now taking in that whole aesthetic. Point number five, and I took a big breath here because point number five is a little bit contentious, um, which is the FAQ must be read. Um, when I start playing a war game, typically I won't go to the FAQ unless there's genuinely a question that I can't resolve, that I can't find a flow for how it's meant to work, that I can't um, figure out what the appropriate problem could lead to. Uh, in most cases, and for a lot of war games, you're going to capture most of your standard instances and you'll go, oh, it actually is probably going to work like this. You'll step it out, you'll work it out. You'll go, that's how it works, or that's how I'm going to make it work. Brilliant. Fantastic. There's always the classic of roll the dice and move on. Nothing wrong with any of that. For bolt action, um, for casual games, absolutely, that would still hold true. But there's enough 
clarification in the FAQ right now and the breadth of the FAQ going across all the books that have been produced. It really is a must-read document. Uh, Warlord Games puts it out for free on their website. You can sign up, download the copy for free, and then every time there's an update, you get advanced notification. It takes about 10 seconds to get the latest copy to your inbox after that. Um, really, really simple. Um, and the whole premise around it being, you know, it's a free document, which is great. It covers every book they otherwise produce. That's also great. It's updated quarterly right about now, um, which is more frequent than what it used to be. Uh, but that has led to some, uh, it's led to some challenging decisions to be fair, but it, it has actually put forward some sort of cycle where we can expect questions that are coming up as more and more people are getting on board and playing. Those questions are getting in the document, but it does make it a must read document. Um, it will clear up a few things which otherwise won't be evident. It obviously contains all the errata information as well. So it updates all of your weapon options or different points if there's changes to any of those. Those are few and far between, to be honest. It also adds in a whole bunch of new units. So America is a classic for this in version one, the crossing over the FAQs. Originally, it was all split out into one document, uh, two documents, sorry, which was an additional unit PDF and the FAQ and the errata um, might have even been three separate documents. Those additional units are now part of the FAQ. And so if you really want to know all your possible options to have fun in a game, competitive or not, um, the FAQ is, is pretty much required reading. Now, the good thing is once you've read it once and once you've actually digested all the information in it once, then you only need to pick up on the extra stuff. You don't have to reread the whole thing every time. They make the changes in green, so you just search for what you need, you search for what you're looking for, and if the stuff that you're looking for either isn't green and therefore didn't change, or isn't there at all, in which case there's either no answer or you just go by what the book says, then you know that's all you have to worry about. So it can be a bit of a hefty uplift when you get started, and I would normally say, get the rule book, get your army book, get a few games under your belt. Don't look at the FAQ until you understand the flow of the game. Once you understand the flow of how the game's meant to work and the different interactions, then you can look at the FAQ, which will clarify some of those pieces and some very um, rare instances as well. So I might just take a quick break here and I'll be back in a sec. Okay, welcome back everybody. So we're now moving into the second portion of my top 10 tips. So we're starting off now with tip six. So one of the assumptions I had made is that historicals being a smaller audience overall in our wargaming scene, that there would be a lot more alignment on how things are played, the approaches to games, how we wanted, how you would set up something for a game, how you would deal with an interaction. That is very much not the case. Uh, there are actually still just as many splits within the bolt action scene and on history and on rules interpretations and on how local metas play it and on how events run it. There's just as many in the historical space as there is in the Warhammer 40k space, or I'm sure 
things like the um, uh, some of the other, obviously, Age of Sigma um, Games Workshop systems are not the only ones that probably have that challenge. Um, but, but certainly a lot of the other historical pieces, Saga, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I know that I've been involved in to say with some sort of certainty. Um, I mean, even certain Napoleonic rule sets, there's a different mindset of how to play those games depending on where you're playing. Um, people play for a little bit more than, you know, a little bit more than bragging rights and they you know, put things on the line on occasion. Um, you know, all those things, and that, you know, they're not isolated just to one genre. Uh, they, they very much seem to permeate that whenever you get two people together in a room to say, right, we're going to play a game, one person says, excellent, we're going to play a game, and he gets out the knots and crosses board, and you have the other person that goes, excellent, we're going to get a game in, and they get out Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Uh, both of those players are going to play a game. It ain't going to be the same one, though. If you don't know what Twilight Imperium 4th Edition is, just go have a look at any of the Learn to Play videos. Um, awesome game. Love it. But, uh, yeah, that's a doozy. So, yeah... Our player base still has splits. Now that means that when we're trying to get people together to do things, when I'm trying to organize games, there's a real onus on me as the organizing player to be upfront and clear about what sort of game I want, how we want to play. Uh, there's a big call you know, across some of our player base for more narrative-driven games where it's not about points, where it's not actually about going in competitively to win, but it's about... I just want to play this particular battle or this particular game where, you know, it's, it's, I can bring my army to play in a game about this theme. Um, now, the trick with those sorts of things is they take significantly more effort to get organized because you'll, we will have a portion of our membership that is uh, our members that are ready to go with something like that in our community. But not everybody's ready to go with that. So um, there's been talk about trying to do a Pacific event for um, quite a while. Um, same with a, a more dedicated narrative event for North Africa. Um, and, and, you know, some inroads were made for things like that. Um, but it takes a lot more effort because we can't simply just get, you know, 24, 30 people together with whatever army they want to bring pretty much and uh, put some borderlines in place and then just go, have at thee and put them on a table. Um, it takes a bit more than that. So we we are looking at, or certainly me and the other TOs are looking at the different things that we can do and also working with other people in the community who have a passion for that sort of thing. Because typically the way those events work is you have someone with a passion, you help them achieve it as opposed to set up a, an event to run a tournament or anything like that. A little bit of a sidestep on that one. But anyway, back to the top 10. Number seven, ah oh, yes, multiple armies or specifically multiple types of armies. So when when I was getting started with Bolt Action, um, we all took, there was me and several others in our little gaming group who started um, prior to the gaming group I'm in at the moment. Um, we all took something that was reminiscent of what a platoon structure would look like, a generic platoon structure, uh, within our different army selections, and we were spread across most of the nations. Um, for a long time, and I'm and I mean like a really long time, I thought generic platoons were the only reasonable way to play in a pickup game, in any sort of a matchup in a pickup game. 
and that anybody that wasn't playing with a generic platoon was, um, oh, how should I put it, uh, was a cheesy git who was trying to um, get a leg up on someone who was bringing a generic platoon. Now, several years on, I'm not, I'm not quite convinced that I was on the right planet um, with that sort of a mindset. Um, the, the reality is that, uh, certainly for an, a new player, the generic reinforced selector is where you would typically start, and that gets you the basis of understanding of how your army's going to work and how you can play several, several sets of games using an army like that. Still can. But the type of army within each faction, that was something that I only started to explore with other people, you know, sort of feeding into me um, quite quite recently in terms of my overall history. So probably in the last 12 months um, where I went, what can my theater selectors actually do? Or what can my, what can my army that I've got, how can I actually play with this army differently to challenge not only myself and how to play it with different resources, but how is it that this army would operate differently if I took different units? Uh, one of the classic examples that I've ended up, you know, being able to refer back to is when I took my 1939 NKVD army for the Soviets, where they were a border patrol force. They, they, they were not frontline troops. Um, they were in fact rear echelon uh, border patrol and typically ran around quelling partisan activity. Um, and so what, you know, what, what does that mean in, for that type of army? I have a lot of fanatically dedicated infantry, so that's a bonus, but they're useless in terms of, um, staying power because most of them were inexperienced. Uh, I also had the, had the challenge that, um, my most powerful anti-tank weapon was a light man pack, uh, 45 millimeter anti-tank gun, I think it is. Uh, and so it's like, so even when I put that on a truck, that only helped to get it on the board. Um, and it was a light anti-tank gun. So, you know, it, it, if you're 24 inches away, I'm at long range as well, which means I'm a really bad light anti-tank gun, uh, you know, plus three penetration. I struggle to, um, struggle to hurt light tanks at that point. So learning how all that works and then being introduced to concepts like an all cavalry army or, uh, a mobile half-track or truck army uh, with multiple small squads, um, delving into multiple small unit armies, um, the different types of um, elite veteran builds that you can get. So, um, you know, a Gurkha list or a commando list or a, now, not Maori Gurkhas, but, um, but, you know, just Gurkhas as they were. <laughs> uh, paratroopers, you know, all, all the different, I guess, brands of type of force, which some of them will operate similar, some of them will operate quite different. Um, Panzer Grenadier 150, for example, is one that would operate very differently. Um, you need to make sure your opponent is well aware of what you're bringing for that, because that's a nasty one in a pickup game. Um, but it's a valid list, and it's actually, you know, it's quite fun. Once you know how to how to sort of engage with it it's not that bad but um yeah it it's it's a fun sort of list but it's you know it might fit a generic reinforced platoon but it certainly doesn't play like them and certainly not like how i got started so 
my initial uh, assumptions there was that the bolt action armies were all going to end up a little bit same same which is why it was a casual game that's that's not the case you know your bolt action army is actually a lot more flexible than what it would first seem number eight narrative missions uh, and their engagement with players um, so a narrative mission to me when i was starting out you simply had a standard mission with points with objectives to hold with victory points and you simply put some sort of words around it uh, to explain why you're there what you're doing and what you're trying to do it took me a long time to realize that when other people talk about narrative mission that isn't what comes to their mind when they say narrative mission um, and in fact sometimes with narrative missions as as we've been coming to learn if people are going I don't even want to talk points I, I want to take uh, I want to take a force that realistically could have been in the battle that we're recreating um, I don't want to be limited by how many units I bring I don't want to be penalized by how many units I bring or don't bring um, but what I want to do is put together a force that would be in that battle and for my opponents whoever they be and my teammates whoever they be to do the same thing and then we just get and we hash it out and we just play a game uh, objectives driven by what the objectives for the battle were so you're literally refighting what the battle is uh, and then you know it, it's some of those things to me were, were completely new concepts like the idea that a mission wasn't going to have a predefined uh, set of objectives that I could get any sort of practice games on. The idea that I didn't know if my opponent was going to rock up with a 500 point force, a 1000 point force or a 3000 point force and they wanted me to be okay with that even if I'd brought a 10,000 point force. Um, like just the disparity there. Um, you know, and that it didn't need to be bound by those restrictions. That that was a very challenging concept for me to understand. But in historical wargaming, that that's actually what. Um, and 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 I'm careful with my words here, but that's ultimately what you're doing, right? Is you're refighting a stack of narrative battles. Some of them we choose to put more points and controls around, especially for pickup games because it's easier then to get a pickup game. But there's actually a group of people out there, and it's not a small group either, who would prefer to go, okay, I'm gonna play the British, we're coming back into France, you're gonna play Germans, we're gonna have this player come on, they're gonna do some partisan involvement, uh, and then we're gonna have some uh, Axis contingent forces come and support the Germans. So you've got to four-player game, each has a particular reason. It's like, what are we doing? Well, we're, we're trying to take back France. Well, how does that work? Well, let's say that this over here will do a, something for the battlefield and this over here, and then we'll set some objectives up, and it will be a case of how far can we get to saving France on this one battlefield? How far down the table do we need to get? Let's just say we need to reach roughly this place. I mean, for me... That's, that's completely different to how you set up a game with rules and with boundaries and with measurements. 
with a letter of the law of, of the rules are permissible up until this point. And it's actually quite freeing to take some of those boundaries away. Um, I don't do it as much as what I want, but I'm trying it in different areas outside of bolt action first. Um, but it really unlocks a different level of enjoyment. There's suddenly no stress about winning or losing. There's no concern about getting absolutely every last kill point. You can play a more gentlemanly game and not, you know, push a dice limit out to, you know, if you're beating your opponent by sort of six dice already, you don't have any sort of a desire to really push it to seven unless the seventh is an easy one to pick up. I mean, that's that's quite different. So that, that was an interesting bit of hindsight. Number nine. Historical accuracy is not the top priority. And this is a conundrum. And this is a conundrum which I know where I sit now, but for a little while I certainly didn't know. So Bolt Action says that it is a historical game system. Yeah, well, okay, maybe historically inspired game system. It's been commented on multiple places that it is a Hollywood-esque style adaptation. Uh, it is a cinematic simulation. Uh, it, it is more about speed and ease of play uh, than it is to be about detailed simulation and historical accuracy. So it doesn't mean that the historical accuracy is not there, because it, it is in some cases, or at least close enough within historical that you'd have to be a real strictly to say that it isn't. But it's certainly not the top priority. Um, and that's evident in several different reasons. Um, you know, you have howitzers, heavy howitzers on the front line. You know, shooting only what would be... Oh, Maybe a couple of hundred Ks? No, not even. Definitely not. You know, the, the, the battlefields that we play on are way smaller than that. Um, and yet we have representation of the units on the board. And, and this is, I guess, where there is a level of abstraction that comes in with wargaming that you have to accept. But the historical accuracy also goes down to well, I can only work with the models that we have, right? I'm not a sculptor. I'm very bad at sculpting, actually. Um, so my uniforms may not be right, or my specific weapon may not be right. My colors can only be matched with approximations. Um, so how I build an army, then, amongst all those other things, the historical piece and the accuracy in particular to the historical pieces um, needs to take a bit of a backseat. It's uh, yeah, it's not. It's not that you can't put it in because you absolutely can. Uh, but not every, but not every figurine is a scale model, and not every rule is historically accurate. Some of them aren't even historically inspired. They are Hollywood inspired. Or myth inspired, actually. Uh, that's, that's another one that pervades the rules. 
But that does link me into point 10. And point 10 is the ease of play and the simplified rules because of the abstraction path that they take makes this game easy to learn. When I started with Bolt Action, there was, I was quite concerned about having to learn another game system. I had this, this mental block that this was another game system that I was going to have to learn, learn all the interactions. It's written by the guys that did Fantasy and 40K. I'm going to have to learn a whole bunch of new special rules, a whole bunch of new special rule interactions amongst themselves, and then how they work in the main rules. That was very unattractive as a thought process. I didn't have a lot of time. I was happy doing what I was doing in my other systems. I didn't want to do it. And even the intro, intro games that I got from my mates at the time, they didn't really convince me. It wasn't until much later that I actually got to grips with the rules and started to work through and play through and actually try to understand what they were saying that it became very, very evident to me that a lot of things were done to make this game system simpler. That comes at a cost, absolutely comes at a cost, but it meant that doing a demo for someone or getting someone involved was actually really simple. So such and such a person, you know, um, little Bobby, you enjoy reading those Commando comics, or you enjoy, you know, catching up with some of the, the things that are happening on Company Heroes video game. Well, let me show you Bolt Action, because it's probably going to be right up your alley. It's going to have those cinematic moments, those climaxes, those what if. But it's actually simple enough for you to be able to say, well, actually, I know how to resolve what if. I don't have to leave it as a question and look at a combat chart or read up 25 different rules to understand. I don't need a flowchart for, for most, if not all, of the things in Bolt Action if you just do what it says in the rules. But the simplicity of being able to teach someone is like when you do an advance, it doesn't matter what terrain you go over, there's no reduction. It's always six inches for your infantry. Certain vehicles might be a bit slower. Certain vehicles will be a bit faster. But vehicles, you normally only have, you know, probably max, I would have thought, five in an army across all your different types on most generic lists. So you got five individual models that probably move similar to each other, but not the same as infantry. That's not a lot to remember. Armor values. Well, armor values are kept quite simple. You have a armor value that is 360 degree applicable, unless you have a special rule that says your front armor is slightly more, or your side armors are slightly more. All the other modifiers happen when you're being shot at. So as long as you keep your front to your opponent, you're mitigating those. You just have to remember one number. The simplicity they've gone for in terms of unit veterancy, in terms of uh, the unit's ability to be hurt 
and the morale. It's all designed to be simple. It's all designed to be simple specifically so that it can be fast. So that if you have two players that know what they're doing, and this is the part that I appreciate more now, if you have two players that actually know what they're doing, know what their plan is, know how the game works, casual or competitive, they could push to get a 2,000 point game done in an hour and a half. Now, that's a tall order, but it could be done, especially if those two players play each other a lot, and so they're used to how the other person might aggressively attack or defend. You start spotting decisions about, oh, you would do this here, right? Yes, I would. Okay, well, let me just roll my attacks. Okay, I've got no hits. Let's get the dice out of the bag because they were going to go down. You've taken an interaction that would have potentially taken 10 minutes into 10 seconds. Now, some of that is player ability. Some of that is the repeatability of those players. But the core of it is actually because the rules are simple. Because you don't have to step through a whole raft of different options to get to the end results. It's like a combat. Combat charges in bolt action are designed to speed the game up, not slow it down. That means they can be taken advantage of Yes, but the purpose is not to speed the game down. It's to keep the game rolling at a fast rate. You have a definite decision. And I think that's what, in fairness to bolt action, and one of the things that I appreciate the most about it is I can pick up a game with somebody else under any of these other pretenses. But it's simple enough that it doesn't matter what army they're bringing or what mission that we're playing. I can focus on having fun playing the game and not worrying about the different rules. Yes, there are the odd outliers, but for the most part, I can get more games in. It's pretty hard to be upset about that. Those are my top 10 things that I wish I'd known about Bolt Action and some hindsight reflections. The only other thing that I probably would say is I should have started sooner. Bolt Action is a great system. I'm obviously a big fan. I unashamedly admit that I'm biased. It has its flaws, but it's got some really good selling points. Several selling points which have actually been picked up by other game companies removing a lot of the rules bloat. They're positive changes for our community. They're good things. Now, I love a complicated, chunky war game, but that takes a lot more effort. So in terms of whether you have somebody that might be considering getting into bolt action, someone who might be expressing an interest, not sure, don't know if they want to dip their toe in, Maybe they have had some of these questions, some of these thoughts. I would encourage you to run a demo. I really would encourage you to run a demo. Bolt action really shines when it's demonstrated to somebody and they see how simple it is. 
let us know what your thoughts are, what your top 10 things about bolt action that you wish you knew when you got started. I think there are some obvious ones that I deliberately didn't mention, which people may in the comments or online. But yeah, this has been a, an interesting solo exercise. Uh, if you like these filler episodes uh, whilst the crew's away, I can probably hook up a few more. Uh, we'll, we'll do, and it may, won't always be 10 thought things, might be something else. But let us know what you like and what you don't like. Throw your ideas across to the email. We try and keep on top of that as best as we can whilst we're um, all volunteers and distracted with life. My best wishes to the, uh, the rest of the crew who aren't here tonight. Uh, hope you're having fun wherever you are. And to all the listeners who have stayed on this long, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your likes. Pass us around. Let, let people know about us. Uh, you know, happy to talk about other content. Other than that, this has been a, a hindsight episode with Dan. All right, everyone. Have a good one. Bye.